A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com. Hello and welcome to a History of Europe Key Battles podcast. This is part three of the War of Austrian Succession. In October 1740, the Holy Roman Emperor Charles VI, the last male Habsburg, died. Though unexpected when it happened, his death had been long anticipated for Charles had devoted huge amounts of time and political capital, persuading European states to agree to the so-called pragmatic sanction. That is, the succession of his eldest daughter, Maria Theresa, to his titles in Austria, Bohemia and Hungary, and the passing of the imperial crown to her husband, Francis Stephen. The court in Vienna had reasonable hopes that the succession could go smoothly. The chief minister in France, André Hercule de Fleury, appeared to want to avoid continental war and instead help Spain with a struggle against the British overseas. The Russian Empress Anna died just three days before Charles, but the regency of young Ivan VI was pro-Austrian. However, then in December, news arrived in Vienna that the Prussian army looked as if it was mobilising to the north. The King of Prussia, Frederick II, known to history as Frederick the Great, had acceded to the throne a few months before. It was hoped he would humanise the Prussian state, which had become heavily militarised under Frederick's father's rule. Frederick threw up a diplomatic smokescreen, indicating that the preparations were aimed at seizing the long-disputed duchies of Ulick and Berg in western Germany. His intentions became more clear on 13th of December when he boarded his travelling coach and headed south, not west, and amassed over 27,000 troops on the Silesian border. As for his motivation, the reason was essentially that he saw an opportunity. As he explained later, he was in possession of a well-trained army, a full treasury, and a desire to establish a reputation. The province of Silesia was then a dependency of the Crown of Bohemia, located along the Oder River, with the Sudeten Mountains extending across the southern border and today divided between Poland, the Czech Republic and Germany. At the time it was one of the most prosperous regions of Central Eastern Europe, famous for its wooden cloth industry and a major crossroad for trade routes. Its defences had been neglected over the decades by the Habsburgs, who had focused more on their southern border and their rivalry with France in the west. Imperial troop numbers were boosted between October and December, but only by about 7,500. Most of the major Silesian fortifications were in disrepair. Only Nisa, 
commanding the river of the same name, were strongly defended. In spite of heavy rains, Frederick pushed his army southwards up the Oder Valley at a pace of close to four miles a day. He bypassed the northern outpost at Glogov and set about trying to bring most of Silesia under his control as quickly as possible. Austria reacted only slowly and was unable to prevent the Prussians taking all but three of the region's fortresses and to enter the capital, Breslau, already within a month of the invasion. The swift conquest was accompanied by an intense Prussian diplomatic offensive. Frederick offered to Maria Theresa in Vienna that if Austria acknowledged Prussian sovereignty over Silesia, he would protect the remainder of her inheritance against the French or any other party, actively support the election of her husband to the imperial crown, and provide a handsome amount of money. But Maria Theresa refused to concede. As well as outraged at the unprovoked attack, she was concerned that if Austria acquiesced in the violation of any part of the pragmatic sanction, it would risk nullifying the whole document. Already, right at the beginning of her reign, the 23-year-old new queen faced a daunting challenge, made no easier by the state her father had left the country in, and without the benefit of preparation. As she later put it, she ascended to the throne, quote, without money, without credit, without an army, without experience or knowledge of my own, and finally also without any advice, end quote. The Prussian army used February and early March to tighten and to protect its hold on Silesia. Some of the majority Protestant population in the north of Silesia welcomed the Prussians, but there was strong resistance in the south. But the most pressing danger to Frederick lay just over the border in Moravia, where Austria was assembling its relief army, though uncertain of its size and location. The Imperial commander, General Count Wilhelm von Nyperg, had just 15,000 troops available, but decided to launch an early attack to try and catch the Prussians off guard. Though Prussia had about 60,000 troops in Silesia, they were scattered in various winter quarters throughout the province, and the two main armies were divided. At the end of March, Nyperg entered Silesia, relieved the fortress of Nisa on the 5th of April, advanced north towards Breslau, hoping to catch the Prussian forces before they joined up. Spring blizzards made visibility difficult, and both sides were unsure where the other was. Crucially, the Prussians were able to join their armies, and the two sides met by the village of Monowitz, near the town of Brzeg, on the 10th of April. The Prussian army of 23,400 outnumbered the imperial force, had far better artillery, and as the weather cleared, managed to surprise the enemy, helped by intelligence reports from Austrian prisoners of war and sympathetic Protestant peasants. Frederick, however, wasted any possible advantage of surprise by taking more than an hour to carry out his deployment. It was not until half-past one in the afternoon when the Prussian artillery bombardment began. At first, the Austrian cavalry gained the upper hand and scattered the Prussian right flank. Frederick showed courage in trying to rescue the situation, but his second-in-command, the Count of Schwerin, feared for his life and pleaded with him to leave the battlefield. Schwerin then sent his infantry forward in the centre. 
This decisive advance was described with great admiration by an Austrian officer involved in the battle. Quote, the enemy now advanced from all sides, as they enjoyed a numerical advantage, superiority of up to 3,000 men, and there was a strong reserve corps situated behind the two lines. They overlapped us on both flanks. I can safely say that never in my life did I see anything finer. They marched forward with great steadiness, with their lines as straight as a die, as if they were on the parade ground. Our army became completely demoralised. Our infantry could no longer be kept together in their ranks, and our cavalry no longer had any wish to form up against the enemy. End quote. Both sides suffered approximately equal losses on the day, about one and a half thousand dead and twice as many wounded. Frederick was angry for himself for leaving the battlefield, but his infantry had performed exceptionally well and won an important strategic victory. He realised the Austrians could have won with more luck or better leadership, so was determined to make improvements to his army, especially the cavalry. The Battle of Molovitz was not a decisive encounter militarily, but it did have extremely important political consequences. If the Austrians had won and expelled Frederick from Silesia, they might have deterred other potential predators. Instead, by showing that Prussia could defend its new conquest and encouraged other powers to try and take a slice of Habsburg territory for themselves. The French had long sought the humbling of Austria and now seemed the perfect opportunity. One objective was to prevent the election of Maria Theresa's husband, Francis Stephen, as Holy Roman Emperor. The hawkish faction, led by Charles, Duke of Belle-Isle, overcame the caution of Fleury, wanted to go much further and reduce the old enemy to permanent second-rank status. They put together a plan to divide up Habsburg territory, giving great chunks to Prussia, Bavaria and Saxony, and leaving Maria Theresa with just Austria and Hungary. Belle-Ile put together a scheme that called for France to send 35,000 troops to Germany to help the Prussians, to give financial and military support to Bavaria, to unleash Spain upon Austrian holdings in Italy, and to encourage the Ottomans into hostilities against Vienna from the east. France would also send troops to the Hanoverian frontier to overawe the electorate and discourage Britain from getting involved. France as instigator of the Grand Plan would emerge as the unchallengeable, dominant power of Europe. By choosing as they did, the French leaders thus turned a bilateral conflict into a major international war. Charles Albert, elector of Bavaria, required little persuasion to join the attack and to stake his claim for the title of Holy Roman Emperor. The Bavarian army had earned a solid reputation in the wars of Louis XIV, and Charles Albert insisted on the claims of his family, the House of Wittelsbach, to participate in the sharing out of the Habsburg inheritance. The Wittelsbachs had been a rival dynasty to the Habsburgs for several centuries, and briefly held the imperial crown in the 14th century. Maria Theresa appealed to Britain and the Netherlands, but both were unwilling to commit resources to Central Europe in the face of domestic indifference. Robert Walpole, the Prime Minister of Britain, was as ever cautious about getting involved in warfare, and King George II 
concerned for the safety of his electorate of Hanover, signed a convention with France guaranteeing its neutrality in any continental war. Maria Theresa also hoped for assistance from the Russians. However, the French successfully persuaded Sweden to launch a war against Russia, which was enough to distract St. Petersburg. Another problem for Maria Theresa was that, as well as the problems in the north, a Spanish army was heading to Italy to acquire territory on behalf of Don Carlos, the elder son of the Queen of Spain. A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare tri-term medical plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare tri-term medical plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. In August 1741, a combined French-Bavarian army marched east to conquer Bohemia to allow Charles Albert to be crowned there as king. That, in turn, would give him an additional electoral vote and make his election as Holy Roman Emperor certain. They marched up the River Danube and reached the town of Linz in Upper Austria by September 1741, which they captured. With Vienna itself now threatened, Maria Theresa in desperation and swallowing her pride, agreed to a truce with Frederick of Prussia. The troops released for the Austrians were badly needed. On the 21st of October, the Franco-Bavarian army reached St. Polten, just 60 kilometres from Vienna. Charles Albert considered laying siege to the Austrian capital, but instead turned north into Bohemia. Reinforced in mid-November by the arrival of 20,000 troops from Saxony, he took Prague in a surprise attack led by Marshal Maurice of Saxony, an illegitimate son of Augustus the Strong. Charles Albert was proclaimed King of Bohemia on the 7th of December, and then in January 1742 was elected Emperor Charles VII, the first non-Habsburg for 300 years. On hearing the news of the fall of the monarchy's second city, Maria Theresa is said to have burst into tears. However, at this moment of crisis, she demonstrated great courage as well as stubbornness. She also began to earn herself fame as a monarch who understood the importance of a ruler's public persona. The young queen worked hard to earn support from Hungary. She travelled to Bratislava to receive the Hungarian crown, travelling down the Danube in a ship bedecked in Hungarian colours. 
At Bratislava, she revealed how skilfully she could project dignity, evoking simultaneously esteem and affection from her subjects. She showed her gift for theatrical displays by holding her son and heir, Joseph, while weeping and dramatically declaring the future king would fight for the defence of the brave Hungarians. This act managed to win the sympathy of the nobles, In return for a promise not to interfere in Hungary's religious and economic privileges, the Diet granted the Queen six regiments for use outside the kingdom. Hungary, once a bulwark protecting Austria against the Turks, became a reserve from which the Viennese government could draw both men and money for its operations in the West, and the Hungarian troops proved invaluable in Austria's fight back. It became Maria Theresa's mission to cut down to size the new emperor, Charles VII, and then to return the imperial crown to the Habsburgs. The Hungarian coronation had restored her credibility in Austria and abroad. On the 1st of January 1742, Austria launched a surprise counter-attack against Bavaria. Within days, all French troops in Upper Austria were either chased back into Bavaria or clustered into the city of Linz, seeking the protection of the garrison there. The Austrians besieged Linz, which fell on the 24th of January. On the same day as Linz fell, Charles Albert was crowned Holy Roman Emperor, although he quickly discovered it to be a hollow title. With his own troops in Bohemia, his own realm was now vulnerable to attack. Indeed, by May, the Austrians had occupied his capital at Munich. Maria Theresa had deprived the new Holy Roman Emperor of his own lands. Entirely dependent on French financial and diplomatic support, he had to set up residence in Frankfurt. Meanwhile, Frederick of Prussia renewed plans for military action. His plan was to secure the province of Moravia for his ally Saxony and thereby create a buffer between his lands and those of Maria Theresa. Most of all, he hoped to put pressure on the Austrians to come to terms and to concede the loss of Silesia. A joint Prussian-French-Saxon army entered Moravia in early February 1742. However, the campaign proceeded slowly due to resistance from native Moravians and the elusiveness of the Austrian army. The Austrian military leadership, deprived of an army large enough to confront the Prussians, made effective use of hit-and-run tactics using Hungarian light cavalry called the Hussars. Also, the French were uncooperative allies and withdrew back into Bohemia early on. By early April, Frederick realised the campaign had been a mistake, called it off and withdrew his troops back to Bohemia. Denied a military solution, Frederick turned back to diplomacy, but Maria Theresa was unwilling to compromise and sent an army 30,000 strong, led by Prince Charles of Lorraine, to advance against Frederick and his forces. Frederick was almost caught unawares, but was able to prepare just in time to confront the Imperial Army by the village of Chotisitz. The two armies were evenly matched, and battle commenced at about eight in the morning, when Charles ordered the attack. The Prussian cavalry on the right at first drove the Austrians back, before being forced to retreat themselves in some disorder, with neither side able to gain the upper hand. The main action 
moved then to the other side of the battlefield, where the Austrians advanced to take the village of Trotzitz and penetrated the Prussian camp, before being distracted by the lure of plunder. They were driven back by determined counter-attacks. The decisive moment came late morning when Frederick sent the main mass of his infantry battalions forward in the centre. Turning left, they took the Austrian right in the flank. With his line of retreat now threatened, Prince Charles gave the order to retreat. The Austrians had missed opportunities for victory, but for want of discipline and good leadership had failed to take them. Both sides suffered heavy casualties, and so, similar to Melvitz, the result was quite even with a small tactical advantage to the Prussians. Maria Theresa, chastened by the second major defeat of her troops at Prussian hands in as many years, began to lean towards a diplomatic solution with Frederick. Meanwhile, the war in Bohemia started going very badly for the French. Prince Charles of Lorraine joined up with other imperial forces to create a combined army of some 65,000 and forced the small French forces out of nearly all of Bohemia except for Prague. They would be forced out of Bohemia entirely by the end of the year. Maria Theresa and Frederick agreed terms of peace. The Queen compelled to turn the armistice with Prussia into the more durable Treaty of Berlin in July 1742, whereby Prussian control of most of Silesia was confirmed. Maria Theresa had no intention of making this permanent, but she realised she had to concentrate on the French and Bavarians in Austria and Bohemia. The treaty marked the end of the first phase of the War of Austrian Succession. Maria Theresa had played her cards as best she could in a difficult position and demonstrated that Austria would not be shattered. The treaty was mediated by the British, who had become concerned that Austria's existence was at stake and that her destruction would raise the power of France and her German allies to a level which would threaten Hanover and even Britain herself. Prime Minister Robert Walpole had strongly believed that peace was the key to promoting prosperity and thought that cooperation with France was the best way to achieve that end. He failed to realise, however, the importance of Britain's role in maintaining an equilibrium of power on the continent, which in turn would help preserve a world receptive to British traders overseas. When Britain declared war on Spain in 1739, triggering the so-called War of Jenkins' Ear, she became even more isolated diplomatically. Prussia's invasion of Silesia heaped the pressure on the British Prime Minister Robert Walpole. A motion for his removal in February 1741 centred on accusations of failing on foreign policy, diplomacy, strategy and the armed forces. Walpole hobbled on through January 1742, in spite of growing pressure to resign, and as the diplomatic situation deteriorated further. In early February, he finally conceded defeat and resigned the seals of office. Even then, the opposition continued to hound him. They demanded an inquiry which would have most likely led to impeachment. His fiercest critic 
William the Pitt the Elder accused Walpole of having had despite against the House of Austria by endorsing the pragmatic sanction without intent to enforce it and abandoning Austria to her fate in the war of Polish succession. As a result, he thundered, quote, We are to become the ridicule of every court in Europe and have lost the confidence of our ancient allies. By these, we have encouraged France to extend her ambitious views. End quote. By just a tiny majority of two, Parliament rejected the motion to launch the inquiry. Walpole's successor as Chief Minister was John Carteret, second Earl of Grenville, who immediately set about trying to redress affairs on the continent by building a coalition and supplying it with cash and troops. First, he tried to persuade smaller German princes to provide mercenaries in favour of Maria Theresa. The next step was a concerted diplomatic and military offensive to take the pressure off Austria and to contain France, which included the mediation of the peace agreement between Prussia and Austria at Breslau in 1742. Carteret wanted Maria Theresa to accommodate with Frederick so that Austria could concentrate on attacking France. If Silesia could not be returned, perhaps Austria could be compensated by territorial gains elsewhere. Frederick of Prussia had few qualms about deserting his French and Bavarian allies and anyway needed a period of peace to rebuild his army. The diplomatic actions of Carteret dramatically turned the fortunes of war in favour of Austria and at the expense of France and Bavaria. Maria Theresa now wanted to continue the war, both to punish her enemies and to gain compensation for Silesia, in either Bavaria or in Alsace-Lorraine. In Paris, the passing away of the chief minister, Fleury, in January 1743, prompted King Louis XV to copy his illustrious predecessor and grandfather, Louis XIV, and to declare that he would be taking personal responsibility for all matters of state. However, instead of leading to clarity of purpose, French policy became confused and inconsistent, as the French king did not seem to be clear of his objectives. You've been listening to a History of Europe Key Battles podcast. If you would like to get in touch, please visit the Facebook page for History of Europe Key Battles podcast. Or you can write to me directly, carl, that's C-A-R-L, at historyeurope.net. Today's music has been composed by the Italian composer Domenico Scarlatti, who lived from October 1685 to July 1757. And I'll leave you with his sonata in E major. I hope you enjoy
Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.